turn in God's Word this morning to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 9. 2 Samuel, chapter 9. Some apologies to our, Thursday, our Wednesday morning men's Bible study group that uh, just went over this passage a few weeks ago. And I trust that once again as we read and study and hear God's word again this morning, we will see this again, perhaps in different light than what we studied it on that morning. 2 Samuel chapter 9, page numbers are given in the bulletin. Let us hear then God's breathed out word to us this morning. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. They called him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Mekir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. He paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Makah. All who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Thus far the reading of God's word. Once again, bow in prayer. Most gracious God and heavenly Father, we pray that each one here would uh, be able to proclaim how sweet and awesome it is to be here in this hour. Father, we pray that uh, you would grant Pastor Bob the words to speak, um, clarity of mind, that his message would be received loud and clear. Father, we pray for ears to hear, hearts that are 
forever filled with joy from listening to your word. In your son's precious name we pray, amen. Amen. I'm going to look at three things, three main points from our passage here this morning. First of all, as we consider this man, Mephibosheth, that he was, first of all, a fallen man. Secondly, that he was a restored man. And thirdly, on the back side of your sermon outline, if you take notes, he was a grateful man. A fallen man, a restored man, a grateful man. For those of you who may be familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism and its division into sin, salvation, and service, certainly the life of Mephibosheth falls into those categories. And each of those points then brings us to that. First of all, that he's a fallen man, sin. That he's a restored man, salvation. That he was a grateful man, service. And yet in this story, in this event that we have unfolding here before us is is not just the story of Mephibosheth. This is your and my story as well. God has graciously provided this man's life on the pages of Scripture as a breathed out word, as a living and active word. Not just so we recall something of the past, but that we are reminded of the present and that we also see the future here as well. First of all then, that he is a fallen man. And first of all, we can think about that as the fact that he fell physically. He fell. If you go back okay, and, and look up that which has happened, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 4. You get a little bit more of detail as far as what happened to Mephibosheth. Why he is lame in both feet. What we learn is that he's lame because he fell. He took a fall. Physically. 2 Samuel 4 verse 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So we learn of the incident. We learn of what happened here. We learn that in the midst of Saul and Jonathan's defeat by the Philistines. The nation is in uproar. They figure the Philistines are going to come and probably kill the entire house of Saul. This nurse doing what she thought would be beneficial and helpful. Picks up young Mephibosheth and in some way we don't quite know exactly all the details of what happened. He falls. As a result, there are injuries, perhaps broken bones. There's no way of mending it. There's no surgeries of those days. So they simply allow crippled bones to, to, to stay crippled. And he becomes incapable of walking after that. He fell physically. That's why he is lame and unable to walk. That's why he is unable to care for himself. 
That's why he is totally and completely dependent upon others. But it, his fall physically is in a different understanding as well. It's his position. His position. Now we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and we have this, this inquiry on the part of David. Where are all of Saul's relatives? Where are they? And, and isn't there a relative of Jonathan left? And there is. But he's in hiding. He is basically in exile. He has not lived on the family farm. He has not lived on the family's plantation or ranch, whatever it is that Saul and Kish owned. By that time, probably quite large, given the size of Ziba's family and how many he's supporting off from it. It's a large estate, but he's not there. He's in hiding. He's at somebody else's home. In another location. He doesn't want to be discovered. Why? Because his family, you see, has fallen. The clan of Saul has fallen. Saul and his sons have died in this battle with the Philistines. You recall the battle, you'll recall the incident. Samuel will not answer Saul any longer. Samuel then dies. Saul is at a crossroads. He he's, he's pretends repentance. He doesn't get any answers from the Lord. He goes to the witch of Endor. The witch tells him as she speaks the words of Samuel to Saul, you're going to die tomorrow and your sons also. Saul still seeking to defy the Lord, goes into battle anyway. And exactly as the Lord has said, that which has, is what occurs. Saul ending up in the greater tragedy of taking his own life as well. We have a defeated king. We have his sons. Who are defeated. Oh, he has one son left, a, a son by the name of Ishbosheth. We don't quite know if Saul was, was hedging things and keeping Ishbosheth back once again in an attempt to defy the Lord. But, but this son Ishbosheth, who reigns for a couple of years, ends up getting killed, actually beheaded by a couple of guys who think they're doing David a service. It's no wonder. Mephibosheth went into hiding. It would appear that the house of Saul is being hunted down. He fell in his position. He's in exile. He's afraid, fearful to encounter the true king. Thinking that by encountering the true king, He's going to find the judgment waiting and the end of his life. But there's something else going on here too, isn't there? There's this, there's this servant guy by the name of Ziba, a man who 
is sinful. He knows Mephibosheth is alive. He knows there's a rightful heir to the estate. But he's the great pretender. He has taken over the estate. He is running this estate and he is making the money off the estate. He is supporting his entire family. The reason we're told later on about the 15 sons is to show us he thinks he's pretty high and mighty. I can have all these children because I've got enough to feed them because I'm living off this estate, which basically I have claimed as mine. Oh, I know there's that descendant, but he's off in hiding. I'm not going to talk about him. I'm not going to bring him back. He is a thief. He is a deceiver. We learn later on that he lies to David about Mephibosheth as well. But that is yet to come. This man is a deceiver. He seeks to take away that which was rightfully Mephibosheth's. But he also fell, not just physically, he fell spiritually as well. He lost his status. He lost his image. The Lord is pointing out that this man, because of the lameness of his feet, because of the death of his grandfather, the king, this man has no image. This man has no self-worth. This man does not see himself as one who was Created in the image of God. He is hiding in shame. Do you not see? Do you not see Adam in all of this? That in Mephibosheth we see Adam. A man who fell. A man who lost his position. A man who lost his status. A man who lost that image of God. That man who through a deceiver, through an enticer, is in hiding in the garden. And it takes the Lord God to come to him. Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding? Because I was fearful. That's Mephibosheth. He is a picture for us of Adam. But in that, he's pictured here for us. This is you and I. We talk to our fallen creatures. Fallen in Adam in our original state, yes. Lost that image of God, yes. But fallen also because we ourselves have put ourselves in exile. By our own sins, by our own shortcomings, by our own failure, by our own disobedience, by our own turning away from God and from God's word. We too are in hiding. We too enter this world in exile. 
we too, as the New Testament tells us, enter this world as the enemies of God, under God's wrath, under God's judgment, which is exactly what Mephibosheth thinks is going on. I dare not show my face. I am better off hiding than to face the king. And how many are there not, my friends, like Adam of old, like you and I formerly, who hide from God? They hide. They seek to cover up. They seek to sew their little fig leaves together to cover up their sin, their shortcomings, their failures. They seek to go to load to bar. They seek to live under assumed names. Rather than coming before the Lord God and acknowledging I am a sinner, we hide. We hide. Secondly, we see in this man, Mephibosheth, a restored man. Four elements to that. One, he is restored by grace. It is by grace. David is the king. Mephibosheth represents the old regime. Everybody expects Mephibosheth to be killed. Even Mephibosheth. That's why David has to say to him, you don't have to fear. Why? Because he came in fear. Just as Adam comes before the Lord in fear. So Mephibosheth shows up. He comes when called, when beckoned. But he's restored. See, what's going to happen? All of Saul's lands comes back to him, right? He's going to eat at David's table forever. He's going to be considered one of David's sons. All that he lost, he's restored to. He's given it back. Why? Because he earned it? Now he's lame in both feet. He's in hiding. How does he receive all of this back? By grace. I want to show kindness, David says in the text. I want to show kindness. I want to show mercy. I want to show grace to Mephibosheth. Let's stop and think. Is Mephibosheth of any use to David? No. That's why the text continues to emphasize the fact that he is lame in both feet. It ends with that. It reminds us of that. Why? Mephibosheth can add nothing to the glory of David. He can't join the army. He can't serve. Mephibosheth isn't even allowed to go to the tabernacle to worship because of the lameness of his feet. Mephibosheth hasn't earned this. He hasn't done some his heroic act that David is rewarding him for. 
It is simply by grace. I want to show kindness. Secondly, he is restored not just by grace, but through a covenant. We are told here that that David has the desire, according to verse 1, to show kindness, to show that grace because of an agreement. Because of a covenant that he had made with Mephibosheth's father. We read about that covenant if we go back in God's word. Okay, it's covered for us in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. It's covered again in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And in fact, if you go, let's go to that 1 Samuel 21. And let me just give you the conciseness of, of this covenant. 1 Samuel chapter 20. It's going to be at the end of the chapter, or near the end, verse 42. First Samuel 20, 42. Then, David, then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. An agreement of peace, a covenant of peace that is established between the father of Mephibosheth and David. Why is David showing grace? Because there is a covenant that has been made, a covenant of peace. That's what stands behind this. There was a covenant that the Lord our God made with our father Adam. I will send a deliverer. I will send a deliverer. That deliverer, as you and I know, from God's word is Jesus Christ. The one who came and brought about a covenant of peace. The one who has brought down the dividing wall of hostility. The one who has taken upon himself God's wrath so that we can be at peace with God. It is through this covenant that the Father and Son have. Where the Son has said, I will go. I will become one. I will suffer. I will die upon the cross. I will take my sin upon them. Grace. God's grace to you and I as it did to Mephibosheth, comes by way of covenant. The covenant between the Father and the Son to take away our sin and our shame. 
2 Samuel chapter 9. Mephibosheth is a restored man by grace through a covenant by the king. It is the king. It is David who is doing this. This is not some subsidiary. This is not some secondary agent. This is the one who is the king of Israel. This is the one from whom Christ is going to come. This is the one of whom God has said, this man is a man after my own heart. David here is the representative of God himself. It is by the king. It is by the king's decree. You can't go any higher than this. You can't go beyond this. There's nobody. There, David is the sovereign one here. David is the one who is in authority. David is the one of whom God has said, I am going to establish his kingdom forever. There's no, there's no court to overturn this. This is established. This is for sure. This is a given. There is no change here. Once again, brothers and sisters in Christ, do we not see ourselves? Our salvation has been decreed and declared by us? No, no, we're Mephibosheth. It's been declared by the sovereign Lord before the foundations of the world. I chose you in Christ. covenant of grace that no one can grasp you from my hand. Fourthly, he was a restored man by grace through a covenant by the king to a table. Isn't that interesting? How is, how is David restoring Mephibosheth? Two things. I'll give you back Saul's estate. That you have. It's yours. But you know what? You really don't need it. I'm giving you that blessing. I'm giving you the material blessings. Yes, some of those are coming your way. But here is why you really don't need the material blessings. Because I'm preparing a table before you. And you shall always have the right to sit at my table. You always have the right to come. What, what a beautiful illustration, isn't this? Of you and I. This is what God does. By grace, through a covenant. He brings us to this table. And he says, this is what you need, this spiritual food, this spiritual drink, this spiritual nourishment, the right to eat at this table. 
is really all you need in this earth. This is all you need. This is it. Everything else is a bonus. Everything else is, a, is an add-on. It's a plus. But you get to eat Mephibosheth at my table all the days of your life. We, layman feet, we, crippled by our sin, we who at times need to be carried to the table, lifted to the table, brought to the table, and there we get to dine as the king's sons. There is no more elegant meal that has ever been prepared for mankind than this meal. This is as good as it gets. This is the king's table. Par excellence. And God has decreed. By grace. Through a covenant with Christ. That sovereignly. We get to eat. We get to come. We're allowed to stay and dine and feed. Thirdly, we see in Mephibosheth that his story does not end here. This is not the end. In fact, there's even a couple of things within 2 Samuel chapter 9 that we need to take note of as far as the fact that Mephibosheth is a grateful man. First of all, I want you to note that two times in verse 6 and verse 8, Mephibosheth shows his gratefulness by his humility. See, we, he doesn't come and say, Boy, you know, David, it's, it's about time you finally recognize me. Man, I've been out there in hiding yeah, I kind of wondered when you were going to come around and fetch me. After all, I kind of deserve this. No, there's none of that. I don't deserve it. I'm just a dead dog. I'm just a sinner. You, you want me to eat at your table, David? I don't deserve that. That humility, you see, is actually a sign of gratefulness. It's a sign of thankfulness. It's a sign of gratitude. You've probably done it before, given somebody a gift, and they act like they deserve the gift. We do not come to this table acting as if we deserve it. No, we know well, far too well that we are sinners. We know our own hearts. We know we are sinners. We know we don't deserve to be at the holy table of a holy God. 
eating holy food. We know we don't deserve that. We know it's only by grace in Christ that we're come. But you see, that's got to be the sincerity of our heart as we come. Even as we see it here in Mephibosheth. I don't deserve it. The words that we just sang from 469, how sweet and awesome is the place, have to be more than just words upon a page. Truly, we have to come... Why am I a guest? Why me? Rather than a holier-than-thou attitude, rather than somehow deserving this because we've been so good or we've been so faithful or, you know, we've been so perfect, somehow we earn our spot. We've got to come as Mephibosheth. Grateful. Humble. Secondly, I'll have you note that he shows his gratefulness by being obedient. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. He ate always at the king's table. He's obedient. He's been invited by the king to the table. He doesn't say, well, you know, that's really nice of you, king, but, ah, you know, I think I'll go back to Lodabar. I think I'll go back and live with Makar. I think I'll just go back there. If, if it's okay with you, thanks, nice offer. No, he's obedient. He comes. He sits. He stays. That's gratefulness. Living a life of obedience. Paul, when he addresses this in, in the book of Romans, he comes to that 12th chapter, that, was that, that first and second verse. You know, what, what, what is it? Transformed heart. This is the sacrifice. A life of obedience lived before the Lord. But Mephibosheth is also a man of intense loyalty. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19. Well, let me fill you in on what happens here between where we were in chapter 9 and 19. There's a rebellion within the kingdom. Absalom, David's own son, rebels. There's a civil war. David is forced to flee Jerusalem for a period of time. David leaves. Rather than fighting an all-out war with his son Absalom, he, he takes those who are faithful to him, are loyal to him, and they, they leave Jerusalem in shame. Along the way, as they're leaving, Ziba shows up once again. Ziba says, hey, I got some donkeys here. I loaded them up with a whole bunch of goodies for you. Want to remain on your good side, David. David says, yeah, but where's Mephibosheth? Ziba lied. He said, oh, <laughs> Ziba thinks that with 
with what's happening here, the house of Saul is going to arise again and he's going to become king, lying through his teeth. The deceiver always does that, you know. The deceiver always tries to bring charges against God's elect. Even now, perhaps, as we come to this table, the deceiver is working on your heart. But the civil war is now ended. Absalom is dead. David comes back to Jerusalem. And he meets Mephibosheth. Actually, it's rather interesting. Go to verse 24 of 2 Samuel 19. David's on the way back in. And listen to what it says. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my, ser my servant deceived me, and your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore do what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? See what's going on? He was deceived. He was going to go with David. That was the plan. Ziba was supposed to get him a donkey so he could go, so he wouldn't hold David up. But Ziba lies. In protest to Absalom's taking over the kingdom, Mephibosheth says, that's it. I'm not taking care of my beard and I'm not taking care of my feet. Now think of what this means. He's lame in his feet. His feet need constant care. They need constant oil. They need constant bathing. I don't care. Is David out of the city? I will do what I can to protest. I can't do much. I can't fight. But I can show my indignation. And now that David comes back, here comes this long, unkept, bearded man with unkept feet. He comes to David. What a beautiful picture. A crippled man coming to David and saying, I welcome you back. I welcome you back. The loyalties 
See, that loyalty is a sign of his gratitude, his willingness to suffer for the sake of his king. That's loyalty. But there's also joy. He realizes David's now in a hard position. Do I believe Ziba or do I believe Mephibosheth? He says, King, whatever you do, I understand. But look at verse 30. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all. If you want to give all the land back, if you want to take away all of these temporal blessings, that's fine. Let Ziba have it all. I'm just glad you're back. Oh, the joy. As David comes back. Well, the circumstances are somewhat different, certainly different. But there is a sense, you see, in which you and I, as the Mephibosheth, are now waiting for the king to return. And out of gratitude for that which he has provided for us, a table. Are we living loyally? And will our hearts burst in joy when Christ returns? I trust the picture that God has given to us in his word. This glorious truth of Mephibosheth is one that you and I will continue to live out day by day by day. Humbly, obediently, loyally, joyfully serving the King who in His grace calls us to that table. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for its reminder of this man's life, of our life. And what a blessing it is now to approach this table in this morning. And we come, Father, testifying of your amazing grace. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.